0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Cod Cabin, um, our Labor Day special discussing the primaries from last week. Of course, I'm joined by Logan Rabe, Adam Bass, and Jack Leary. Uh, So we're just going to jump right into it. Um, We're going to take it from the top, the Senate race. Does anyone have any thoughts on uh, Ed Markey's about 10-point win over Joe Kennedy III?
1: Was it 10 points? I thought it was 8 points. Was it 10? Uh, 5545 yes, 5545 yeah. all right that is a 10 point win well you know um i think that this race was very interesting to watch it was a fun ride um to just report on it throughout this entire uh season so thank you all for listening and and keeping up on our reports um you know a lot of people say that this race was due in part to Ed Markey's transformation um, which I think also played a big part of it. But I also think that the biggest problem with Joe Kennedy in this race was two things. Number one, uh, a failure to reach out to those educated communities in the fourth district and the fifth district and really chew into Marky's lead. And number two, and, I, and I'm and i still very adamant about this, the idea, he, he offered very little explanation of why Marky needed to be primary, you know? Um, and it reminded me of Ted Kennedy's famous Why Are You Running for President gap in 80. Um, m- maybe not to a extreme degree like that, but I do think that while Markey's improvement as a, as an image really helped, I really think it comes down to the fact that Kennedy could not make a basic argument.
2: I think the issue purely in terms of campaign strategy for Kennedy was I think he took – the northern part the more educated parts of his district for granted um you know he did really well down in fall river but the northern parts of the district uh he really didn't perform the way he should have in his own district in a statewide election i mean you know the most comparable example we have is 2013 when markey first ran for this seat he beat steve lynch by 20 points statewide but lynch still beat him 20 points in his own district i mean turnout in the gateway cities you know Kennedy did his part there, but I think he needed more from his own district, and that's really what helped to sink him.
3: Right. We talked about this on election night where uh, Markey won every single precinct in Newton. That was just such a surprise to me. Yeah. Looking at the town map, I mean, it really looks like the 4th District is divided purely on educational or income lines, where the northern part of the district was pretty solidly for Markey, while Kennedy did better in Alborough, Taunton, Fall River. Uh, and that, that was certainly a surprise, and it seemed like throughout the state as well, like up in Essex County or other Boston exurbs, these these towns that have a lot of Romney Clinton voters that originally you'd think Kennedy would do quite well in, ended up going to Markey. Uh, that's where that's where Markey uh, really swung the election.
1: Yeah, and, and if we could also talk a little bit about an area where I think Kennedy really blew it, uh, Boston. You know, I thought, for me personally, I thought Boston was going to be the strongest of the four cities for Marquis, but I had no idea it was going to be this strong, especially in East Boston, which would be more Kennedy-friendly. Um, you know, Kennedy needed those cities to really turn out for him, and they didn't. Um, he did incredibly well with the non-white vote, but just not enough. Um, I think it was Cynic who made this report in one of his maps. Um Bo- uh, Massachusetts is still an incredibly white state, and you know, Kennedy just didn't do well with the white vote um, compared compared to the minority vote, especially in Boston. I think
0: uh one thing people you you just touched on it was that kennedy um some the impression was that Kennedy didn't give a reason for why he ran. I think he did give a reason for why he ran, but it didn't appeal to the suburbanites, it didn't appeal to white people. His message was that. Marky hadn't shown up for minority communities. He hadn't shown up for the working class. And suburban voters are going to think, well, Marky has shown up for us. I, we don't have anything against him. And I think right. a lot of the the message around, you know, Kennedy didn't talk about, didn't make a case for why he's in, why Marky deserves to lose is uh, mostly centered around the fact that, you know, one thing he couldn't escape during this race was that the belief that he was running just because of personal ambition, just running off of his own name. And I think that the problem with his candidacy was that he just couldn't escape that, um, that message.
1: Right. I mean, this was a thing that many older voters um, got a little skeptical about. I, I talked to a lot of them in Needham, which Marky won, believe it or not, this was an area I thought was, you know, guaranteed to go to Kennedy, but no Marky won by a thousand votes and many older voters in Needham said, listen, I think Kennedy's a great guy, but he's running because he's a Kennedy. Like, where's the argument there? Like, I I don't believe in that. I I think, to go off your point, Jesse, yes, there was an argument, but it wasn't a very good argument. It wasn't structured that well. Politics is like making an essay, you know? You need to have a good thesis that appeals to everyone,
2: not just one that appeals to a certain group of voters. Uh, Speaking to your point about about the Kennedy name, I think... Something that a lot of people and a lot of analysts overestimated was how far that name would go. I mean, in the final weeks of the campaign, Markey's whole message was, you know, Joe Kennedy's a trust fund baby running for no reason. You know, the whole tell your father, old man's money. Tell your father. And and honestly, I I didn't think when that started that that was going to be a successful strategy, but it definitely seemed to resonate and it it definitely uh, struck a bad chord with Joe. Well, yeah, because I think for many, the Kennedy name, while still having um, a
1: place in American history, has definitely lost a bit of its luster. Um, It's going to come back eventually. In fact, I have money uh, riding on Amy Kennedy winning against Jeff Van Drew. I may lose that money. But the point being is that Kennedy's name also came with a lot of building up a profile. You know, Bobby... Jack, even, even Ted, uh, before he had that, uh, blunder for running for president, they built up their name and, and Joe was really building up his name too. But, you know, I, I, think for many analysts, he jumped the gun. He should have waited a little longer. Um, you know, he was just starting to hit his stride after the, um, the 2008 rebuttal to the state of the union and people really started to like him. And then he just jumped the gun way too, way too quickly. You know, if he just waited a little more, I think people would be okay. Probably electing him to Senate, e- even even if he's running against Fiona Brastley, I think that would be a close race to watch.
3: Right, and I think as well, it might it might have been a mistake for him to run here because we we saw his approval polls. He's gone from a he's gone from pretty well approved congressman to now still still a majority approved in the Democratic Party, but there's a solid uh solid group that. Isn't really a fan of him now. They think that his challenge on Markey was just uh, because of his name, and that might hurt him in future runs.
1: I don't think he's going to run for a very long time, though. Um, yeah, but that's that's sort of the Senate race. Um, you guys want to talk about Massachusetts four? Lot to unpack there. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in Massachusetts four. Um, We couldn't call this race on election night, but uh, as we know now, Jake Auchincloss will be the nominee, the Democratic nominee um, to run against Julie Hall for Massachusetts 4. Now, before we go into the Democratic primary, I just want to make a note of what I've been watching on Twitter and on Julie Hall. Um, She has shifted dramatically right in her messaging, calling Auchincloss a socialist, uh, bashing the media, you know, really just veering right to what we originally saw with her on the COD cabin, sort of this pragmatic conservative vote and voice. And now she's trying to appeal to those hardcore conservatives.
0: Oh, I think she's trying to clean up her right flank. Um, running against Dave Rosa, hardcore conservative, trending more into Trump rhetoric in the debates. Um, she ran more as a moderate, like maybe the reflection of Jake Auchincloss on the Republican side. And now she's just trying to clean up her right flank. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what she needs to get maybe the 35 or the 30 to the 35% of the votes that she'll probably be able to get um, in November.
3: And that's just like the presidential election as well with Trump calling Biden a radical socialist when in reality... Biden was the, was the moderate in his primary, just like how Aachenklaas was the moderate in the fourth. So it really reminds me of the presidential scene.
1: And, and it was a crowded race. And it felt like it should have ended a long time ago. Um, but no, yes, Aachenklaas won his primary, much to the joy and maybe some dismay of many voters in the district. Um, you know, he, he ran, he, there are two main arguments, I think, how Aachenklaas won. Number one is obviously the South, and really making that his second home and just clearing up the vote with that, which is actually a brilliant strategy. Um, You know, Massachusetts 4th, it's a tale of two districts, the northern part and the southern part. But the the other part, I think, you know, aside from money and and just to focus on the South, was the ginormous cluster F of candidates trying to appeal in the North and not really focusing on the South you know, the only other candidate I think that made a real appeal to the South was Becky Grossman.
3: Yeah, I think this race was almost like the Senate primary as well, and and how it was uh, it wasn't as regionally uh, or it wasn't as regionally based as I thought. And what I mean by that is like Newton, where Auchincloss and Grossman are from, Mermel won Newton, which you would expect if all these candidates were. Uh, didn't have their locations on the ballot or whatever. But uh, with Auchincloss and Grossman being from Newton, you would expect one of them would win it. But the fundamentals there with Mermel, with the more progressive vote, Mermel carrying that was definitely important to her campaign. Becky Grossman losing, not winning a single precinct in Newton was also quite surprising. Uh, But Auchincloss did just enough in Newton uh, just, just well enough in Newton combined with his Southern performance to uh, to win.
2: Yeah, I think I was really surprised, particularly with how well Mermel did in Brookline. I think she hit 40% of the vote there, which, you know, in, in a field that crowded, even though she has, you know, home field advantage there is really quite surprising.
3: And that home field advantage wasn't uh, that solid. There, there were plenty of other candidates from Brookline um, and, it's it's it really shows how much uh, in addition to her home field she had the grassroots uh, grassroots campaigning up there and other candidates like Alan Casey, Natalie Linos, uh Sam just couldn't couldn't get that those numbers in brookline
1: i will say out of all the all of the um, political careers that might have been quote unquote really hurt by this race Alan Casey probably took the biggest take. This is his third race that he has running. Um, he's ran two Senate races and he didn't get very far there. He did come in third in the Martha Coakley primary, and we all know how that turned out. Um and, you know, now he, he came in what? Sixth, I think, in this race. You know, that's kind of sting for someone who's probably one of the most well known names in Massachusetts politics. Um I hope he has a good future out there and I hope he continues running, but that's kind of really hurt for Mr. Casey.
0: Well, I don't think Alan Casey would like to hear this, but I think this probably was his last hurrah. He's turning 60 years old soon. As you said, he lost in two Senate races. He lost this race. Uh, He he didn't get much of a vote. I don't really see his path to any uh, congressional seat or to any Senate seat. Maybe he can run her state house or state senate but i think that's where ceiling is at and as for mermel um i think her problem was that she didn't really try to consolidate the south coast until it was too late exactly yeah she was she was she was focusing on brookline she was focusing on newton and those are where her people are at those are the educated um people who really care about these progressive values and she didn't try to make inroads um with the lower income, less educated South Coast, and I think that's what killed her at the end.
1: Yeah, th- as I said, um, in, in the election night, I, this was just a big game of Pac Man. Just try to eat as much dots or, or and in this case, votes as you can in order to consolidate a lead. If Mermel ate enough votes into uh, Jake's um, vote share in the South, she might have won it. But at, she, she also had a very, very shortcoming of money, um, despite having the mo- the momentum on her side, she just was having a lot of trouble raising money, um, and-, and while Casey, Arkenklaas, and even to a lesser extent, Grossman raised a good amount of money, you know, Rommel just couldn't, and that, I think, really handicapped her.
2: Yeah, Arkenklaas did raise a ton of money, but, you know, so did Alan Casey, so I'm wondering, you know, at what point diminishing returns kicked in here, and, you know, Alan Casey raised like well over a million dollars and he still got like 9% of the vote. So I, I honestly, just to return to him for a second, I don't know what really his shortfall was, you know, why he kind of failed to catch fire in general in any part of the district. I
1: I have a theory on that. And I think that has to do with the fact that, you know, while the idea of city core is very interesting, people just don't really understand it. You know, it's a very, very urban thing. And Massachusetts for is the definition of suburban, you know? Um and, and I don't and even though City core, uh City Year, uh, pardon me, City Year in America are, are important um are important programs in American society, you don't really hear them as much in Needham, in Wellesley, in Fall River, you know, it's sort of a brookline Boston thing. Um and even then, it's luster has sort of gone away, especially in a time where you can't really go into service and be out in the field because you're stuck at home because of the virus. Um, I, I, and I don't know if people want to talk about service right now. They, they want to talk about themselves. They want to, be, they want to focus on their own personality. Um, you know, 2020, 2019, very, quote unquote, selfish years for America. And, and I don't think being part of a group is what people want to be right now. They they want to just focus on themselves, but you know that's just what I think. Um, but yeah, let's um, let's move on to Massachusetts one.
0: Yeah, Massachusetts one. Um, the ways that the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, Richard Neal, uh, won about fifty eight point eight <laughs> percent of the vote, and Holyoke so, so, Mayor Alex Morris took forty one point two
1: and lost his own city. So so Jack and I were right about were right about it being likely Neal at the end of the day. I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it is interesting to see um, uh, Rick, uh, not Richard Neal, um, Alex Morse not even win his home city. Uh, Jesse, you made a map about this, um, a very suggestive map, but I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm impressed just how much he didn't catch fire. And I, I think it has to do with the fact that Alex Morse just didn't have that really vibrant personality that many other House candidates had. Um,
2: such as Jamal Bowman or 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 uh, Lori Bush. Well, I, I want to give him credit where credit's due here. Hitting above forty percent of the vote against an entrenched incumbent incumbent who's a uh, who's a very powerful committee chairman is pretty impressive, especially given you know the the obstacles that he had to face on the campaign trail. To put it lightly,
3: right, especially when his district there wasn't any sudden demographic change that made it a prime uh, prime. Target for a primary challenger. It, this is really this district. I think it's demographically a lot like other districts in America with perfectly safe incumbents. So this was really a, um, a start at zero kind of primary challenge where you have to actually convince people um, for on um, the issues. Um, and you, there's no there's no sort of demographic change that uh, you can run on.
0: And I think one thing we can't ignore here is the sex scandal that hit Alex Morris. Um, personally, I think my hot take is that it might have probably helped him because it grew his name recognition at precisely the right time and it gave him the momentum going to the final weeks, but clearly it wasn't enough. Uh, what do you guys think about that?
1: I love the belief that it didn't really shake the race. I mean, you know, uh, look, we have this lens of Twitter and of the internet because, again,